0: Thank you to our band, and thank you all for being with us. Uh, It's an exciting time. It's a brand new year. Brett almost fell. That was exciting. Um, (laughs) I'm glad that he didn't. But it's a brand new year, and we're starting something brand new in this new year. Really, from this point all the way through the spring into Easter and beyond, we are going to be doing something so strange as a church. We are going to be talking about Jesus. How about that? We're going to be talking about Jesus a whole lot, going through his life in a mostly chronological order, taking a look at some of the highlights. And so this first series in the new year, this is our first of several different message series about, with a couple of differences, okay? Instead of Batman's origin story, we are looking at Jesus' origin story. So there's that. And number two, instead of a movie, this will be me talking at you for three weeks in a row. But other than that, it's the same thing as Batman Begins. Uh, taking a look at this <clears throat> on the back, you can see some more information about where we're going uh, throughout the course <clears throat> of these three weeks. And so this series, Jesus Begins, I almost said Batman Begins, this series, <laughs> Jesus Begins, I'm going to watch that, <laughs> we're looking at Um, an introduction to Jesus. That's really what this is, okay? Before his first sermon, before he begins teaching, before his first miracle, before he ends up on the radar of the religious establishment, the very beginnings of Jesus, before he speaks, before the miracles. Now, I've shared with you um, several times over the years that uh, I grew up going to church. I was a church kid, you know, at three years old. I was in the Sunday school classes and all of that, And as a child, I was taught that it is the responsibility of us Christians to share Jesus. That's the term that was used, share. It's our responsibility to share Jesus with the other people in our lives. When I got a little bit older, that terminology changed and I heard a different term, introduce that it's our job as Christians, it's our responsibility to introduce people to Jesus. And I like that term a little bit better. In fact, that's the term that I tend to gravitate toward, because sharing feels a little bit slippery, a little bit obscure. But this idea of introducing people to Jesus makes a little bit more sense to me, and I feel like it's a bit more concrete, because we all know what it's like to introduce one person to somebody else, right? You know what that's like? You know this person, and you know this person, but they don't know each other. Let me introduce this person to that person. We know, we know how that works. I didn't need to overexplain it, right? You know how this works, right? And sometimes you've been in the position where you have felt the need to warn one person about the other person that they're going to meet. I see some smiles already. You know what this is like, Right? You're taking that person over to meet your family. and You're like, listen, before, before we get there, I just want you to know they can be a little overbearing, but don't take it personally, right? just want to warn you about what you're about to experience, right? Or you're about to meet my employer, you're about to meet my boss, and I just want you to know that has kind of an off-collar sense of humor, but don't let it get to you. Just want to warn you about this person, right? Or you invite a friend to church for the first time. I just want to warn you about our pastor. He thinks he's a lot funnier than he is, but just look past that. He's a decent guy, right? You feel the need to warn somebody about what they are about to experience. You're about to come face-to-face with somebody, and I want to give you a heads-up before you interact with this person. This is what John does for us in the biography that he writes of Jesus Christ. He gives us this warning. He gives us this idea of who we are about to meet. So we're going to take a look at a passage from John today. Let me give you some background about John. And so John is the fourth person to write a biography of the life of Jesus. There were three other guys that wrote biographies before John, and so those biographies were already in circulation, one by Matthew, one by Mark, one by Luke. And so they had already written their biographies, and so a lot of people in the first century church had exposure to those biographies. And so John, in the twilight of his life, He is writing his biography. And it's neat to see that John, he doesn't cover a lot of the same events that the other guys already wrote about. He's unique in what he he gives to us. And so John was left to this task of trying to figure out okay, how do I start my biography that I'm going to write about Jesus? And John was uniquely qualified to write a biography of the life of Jesus because John was one of the first followers of Jesus, one of the first disciples, if not the very first. He was one of the first four. And John was with Jesus the entire time, the entire duration of his ministry on the earth. John was there. In fact, John was the only one of the disciples that made it to the foot of the cross to witness Jesus die. And John was one of the two disciples that went to the tomb on Easter Sunday and saw that it was empty. So John was there for everything. And so he sits down to write his biography of the life of Jesus. And he's got to figure out, how do I start this thing? You know, Matthew and Luke, they did the whole nativity stuff. They did the Christmas story. Let me, start, let me start in a different way. And so John starts his biography with this warning. Here's who you're about to meet. Let me give you an idea of what you're about to experience. Because in the pages that follow, you're going to read about the miracles. You're going to read about the teachings. You're going to see how people interact with Jesus. But let me give you this heads up about who you are about to meet. And so John starts his gospel. He starts his biography Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made and already were lost, right? What are you talking about, John? <clears throat> and so John tries to clear something up because he is reintroducing Christians to Jesus, but he's also introducing some other people to Jesus for the first time. And so he's clearing up, listen. Before Jesus was born, as a little baby in a manger, before Jesus arrived on this earth, he was with God. And so John refers to Jesus as the Word, with God, with God from the very beginning, one with God, through Jesus, through the Word, all things were made. And so he's clearing up a point that some people may have been confused about. You know, Jesus doesn't just start with the nativity scene. His story starts with God before all that. He was with God from the beginning. And so we're still in chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Take a look at your bulletin. You can see the the passage that Bob read for us. Beginning with verse 11. Again, this is John giving us an idea of who we're about to meet. He, we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was born as an Israelite, born as a Jew among Jews, but his own people did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There's some foreshadowing John does here, right? When we get to chapter 3, John's going to write about being born again. This is a teaching of Jesus, being born a second time. Not just of human natural birth, but a second birth. So John's giving us an idea of what we're going to see in the life of Jesus. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, when John says made his dwelling among us, he means that quite literally. He's not saying, well, Jesus was out there in the world, and I'm a human being, and he was a human being, and so he was out there, and that's great. No, no, among us. Like, I was there. I saw him face to face. He was among us. It's a first-hand witness of what he said and what he did. He was among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. John was one of three disciples that was there during Christ's transfiguration, which is this event where um, the disciples, the three that were there, James, John, and Peter, they got to see Jesus in his, his real state, who he really is, right? In his glorified state, not just as a man, but in his glorified state, And so he's saying, we've seen him among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, because there's only one son of God. We've seen it, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Two words, grace and truth. Two words that we could easily breeze right on past, and let's pick up with the narrative, and let's read more about Jesus. Let's get into the story already, John. John. Grace and truth. But before we breeze past that sentence, before we move on to the story of Jesus, let's take a moment to consider just how epic this is that Jesus was filled with both grace and truth. Let's take a look at these terms. First, we're going to start with truth. I've got some props for us today. Prop day at Hope Community Church. Truth, start with truth. What is truth? Truth, did you like this prompt? Is this fancy? Truth, truth is truth. Truth is that there is such a thing as right and wrong. That's the truth. There is such a thing as wisdom and folly or foolishness, right? There is such a thing as doing things that are beneficial. Truth is, we have a God that says, thou shalt not, about a whole lot of stuff. Our God has given us boundaries to live within. The truth is that there is such a thing as, here's our favorite word, sin. Right? Sin is a reality. Sin is real. God says, thou shalt not. When we do things that God says we shall not do, that is sin. And here's the thing about sin. Sin is equal to, we'll start small and then we'll build. Sin is equal to unideal, as in not God's ideal for us, not his design, not his attention. Sin equals not ideal, unideal. Sin, according to God, Sin equals dangerous, destructive. It's important to note that our God is a God of love. And when he says thou shalt not, when he says don't do that, it's for our own sake. God doesn't create these rules just out of the blue. No, it's for our own sake that he's given us boundaries to live within. That's important to know about God. I've got this question a lot over the years because I'm a Christian. I don't know, maybe because I'm a pastor, but at least because I'm a Christian, people say, hey, Christian person. Do you think such and such is a sin? Do you think such and such is a sin? And the question usually has something to do with sex because that's just how it works. Is such and such a sin? And I said, well, first thing, what's key to my faith system, what's key to my belief is that I don't get to decide what's sin and what's not. I defer to God. It doesn't matter if I want something to be a sin or if I want it not to be, why would I want something, want something not to be a sin? That doesn't matter. I defer to God because God's the one who decides what sin is and what's not, and it's all based on what's best for us. I don't know if you've realized this yet, but we live in a broken, fallen world. Have you realized that? And Father God says, in order to make your way through this broken, fallen world, I'm going to give you boundaries to live within. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what not to do. I'm going to tell you what to pursue. I'm going to tell you how to treat one another because this world is a messed up place, and I want to protect you. So that is truth. There is right, there is wrong, there is such a thing as sin. Let's talk about grace. What is grace? Grace is compassion. Grace is compassion. Grace is understanding. Grace is seeing somebody living outside of God's boundaries. Breaking God's law, breaking God's commandments, and saying, listen, I know it's wrong, but I get it. I understand. Grace requires thoughtfulness. Look, I'm looking at somebody else, and I'm looking at the way that they live, and I know what they're doing is wrong, and maybe what they're doing that's wrong is hurting me personally, but I I get it. If I were in their shoes, I'd probably make the same decisions that that person is making. Grace Grace is saying, listen, maybe I'm more advanced than this other person. Maybe I happen to know more of the truth than this other person, but that's, that's an advantage that I have, and so I understand, okay, okay, I'm going to put fair expectations on other people. I'm not going to expect other people to live according to my faith system, because they don't even share my faith system. Grace. Compassion. Understanding. That's grace. There's something I learned about grace over the course of last year, which I think is very important. Grace is not being offended at someone else's sin. Somebody need to hear that today. Did you write it down whoever you are? Maybe we all need to hear that. Grace is not being offended at someone else's sin. But they're doing something that's wrong, it's outside of God's boundaries. Yes. And that makes me sad, maybe even heartsick. But I'm not going to be offended by it because here's what I know. I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. Are you kidding me? You know how flawed I am? I'm not going to be offended by someone else's sin, especially if their sin has nothing to do with me. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to take that as, a, as some kind of offense. I can't believe they're living this way. Really, you can't? Have you met people? <laughs> Have you read the Bible? All throughout human history, we step outside of God's boundaries, willfully and knowingly. I'm not going to be offended or angry or frustrated. Over someone else's sin. Sad? Yes. Heartsick? Maybe. But not angry. That's grace. And so here's what we have John is giving us, you can call it a heads up, or I think we should call it a warning. The Jesus that you are about to meet is filled with both truth and grace. Not one or the other, but both. Now, back in Jesus' day, there was a misconception about truth and grace. These two things were thought to be incompatible. You're either going to be filled with one or the other. You're going to go all in on grace or all in on truth. It was a misconception. And guess what? It's a misconception that exists in this day as well. How can you be all about truth? How can you be all about truth and grace at the same time? How can you speak to the fact that there is such a thing as sin and God has boundaries for us and we need to live within his boundaries and speak to the wisdom of that, but at the same time extend grace to people who refuse to live within God's boundaries? How do you do that? And so this led, Jesus being filled with both both truth and grace, this led to a whole lot of disappointment. It led to disappointment the disappointment of unmet expectations. Because there were some people that wanted their Messiah to be all about truth. There were righteous people. People who believed, at least they believed, they were righteous. They were living within God's boundaries. They were living according to the laws that God had given them. And I'm talking about Old Testament covenant, Old Testament laws, which were overwhelming, people living within those boundaries, and they wanted their Messiah to come in and validate them. Yes, yes, yes. Good, good, good. Pat them on the back. Good. We're all about truth. What they're doing is bad. What you're doing is good. Let me validate you. They wanted their Messiah to be all about truth, but not grace. Of course, there were other people that wanted the Messiah to be all about grace, all about grace. Listen, all those laws that God gave, they're so overwhelming, and like, how can anybody live up to them? so they don't even worry about it? Just grace, grace, grace. I get it. All right, to be all about grace. Some people wanted their Messiah to be all about truth, but Jesus was filled with both truth and grace, grace and truth. These two concepts, they are not mutually exclusive. In fact, just the opposite. These two concepts are are codependent. There's a symbiotic relationship between truth and grace because you can't. You can't be all about truth without grace because without grace you're missing part of the truth and you can't be all about grace without truth because if you're going in with grace, if you're going all in on grace, and if you're subtracting truth from that equation, then you're missing something that makes grace grace. And so these aren't mutually exclusive. They weren't in Jesus' day and they aren't in our day. Jesus is filled with both, truth and grace. What about us? (laughs) What about us Christians? I tell you what, so many of us Christians, we want to choose one or the other because trying to be about both, oh my goodness gracious, trying to be about both feels so overwhelming, feels maybe even feel impossible. And so many of us Christians want to say, okay, let's just be all about this, or let's just be all about that. But trying to be all about both? Goodness gracious, it's so difficult. And that's why some Christians, I mean, they just make the choice, and it's not even a conscious choice. They make a choice nevertheless. We're just going to be all about. We're going to be all about truth. We're going to be all about truth. And a collective of Christians will get together and decide we're going to be all about this, not about that. We're going to be all about this. And some churches are all about this, and not about that. That's just the reality that we live in in this country and around the world. Some churches just say, we're going to go all in on this and not about that. And so, those churches, the people gather together and they hear the truth, a group of Christian people, and they sit and they hear the Bible taught and they nod their heads because they already know the truth and the truth is affirmed for them. And every once in a while, they'll learn something new in a church like that. Oh, I didn't realize that. How about that? And education is key in a truth church. Where's the grace? where's, what about the grace? What happens? What happens if a collective of Christians, what happens if a church goes all in on truth but forgets about grace? Well, over time, they shrink, and they shrink, and they shrink because without grace, how do you draw in new people to the message of Jesus? If you're not willing to meet people where they are and not expect them to live as Christians when they're not, how, how do you grow a church that's all about truth but not about grace. And so here's what we've seen in this country and in this community in Delaware County, we have seen some churches go all in on truth, forget about grace, and shrink and shrink and shrink till they're dead. How many churches? I mean, I'm I'm 41 years old. How many churches have I seen die in this community? If you do an autopsy on some of those churches, you'll realize that this is one of the reasons why some of those churches have died. They've been all in on truth, but they forgot about grace. They neglected grace. Then there are other Christians, other collectives of Christians that get together and say, we're going to be all about grace. We'll forget about truth. We're going to be all about grace and they meet people where they are. And they don't set unreasonable expectations. And they let people know that Jesus loves you just the way you are. Which is, which is true, by the way. But they let people know that. Yeah, we get it. We've got compassion. We have understanding. We're not offended by your sin. And that is awesome. And people are drawn to grace. That's fantastic. So imagine to imagine, to, to be a person who doesn't know Jesus, who's lost in this world, going looking for something, and to find a group of Christians that are willing to love you just as you are. How wonderful is that? Grace churches, all in on grace, but what about truth? What happens when a church is all about grace, but not truth? What happens? Well, you get the new people to come in. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you so much for not being offended at my past and my sin. Thank you. Now what? How do I live? What do I pursue? How do I resolve that conflict in my life? What should I do? Oh, well, we don't know. We're just about grace here. You're going to need truth for that, right? Yeah? What happens? You need the truth. You need the truth. You go all in on grace and neglect truth. What happens? What happens to churches like that? They shrink, they shrink, they shrink until they die. All right, I'm going to say something a little bit dangerous here. I grew up in a denominational church, right? And back in the late 70s or early 80s, this specific denomination made a decision. We're going all in. We're going all in. We're going to forget about truth. We're going all in on grace. And what has happened to that denomination? It's one of the top three most rapidly dying denominations in the country, if not the world, okay? It doesn't work because grace is great, but we need truth. We need both of these things. Jesus was filled with both, truth and grace, to be filled with both. They're not mutually exclusive. They're dependent upon one another. You need to have both. Now, sometimes we Christians, we try to do this balancing act, which is dangerous and wrong, okay? Let me warn you against that. Because sometimes we Christians feel like we got to weigh the scales, and it's like, okay, I got to approach this person with just the right combination of truth and the right combination of grace. We got to get this balance. Oh, wait, I got too much truth over here. Oh, nope, too much grace. Let me clear that up for us. Let me tell you, there is no such thing. This is a tricky concept, but you'll you'll figure it out. Here we go. You guys are smart. (laughs) There is no such thing as too much truth. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as too much truth. There is such a thing as not enough grace, right? No such thing as too much truth. There is such a thing as forgetting about grace. Likewise, there is no such thing as too much grace. There's no such thing. You can't be too gracious. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine someone treating you with too much? You're being too gracious. No, there's no such thing as too much grace. There is such a thing as not enough truth. So forget about the balancing act, (laughs) Forget about that, because there's no such thing as too much truth, but there is such a thing as not enough grace. There's no such thing as too much grace, but there is such a thing as not enough truth. Here's what I've experienced, and I'm not the only one. Goodness gracious, some of you have experienced this as well. Here's what I've experienced when you try to tell the truth to somebody. I'm not talking about an easy truth, right? Hey, I think you're really good looking, and that's the truth. No, I'm talking about a hard truth. When you try to share a hard truth with somebody, Maybe that person's a fellow believer. Maybe they're not. Try to share a hard truth. Listen, I see that there's something going on in your life and nobody else is talking to you about it, but I'm concerned about this relationship you're in. I'm concerned about the amount of time you're spending at work. I'm concerned, whatever it is, a tough truth. I know you're a fellow believer and I know you know the boundaries of God and I see you living outside those boundaries and I know you know better. I know you know this is dangerous. I know you know this is wrong, but nobody else is saying anything. So I feel like I need to say something and it'd be so much easier if I didn't. And it'd be so much easier if I say, well, that's none of my business. I'm not bringing that up. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to muster up the courage and meet with you one-on-one and tell you this tough truth. And what happens when we do that? Sometimes it's received. But only sometimes. Other times it's not. Most of the time it's not. In my experience, maybe you're different. Maybe you've had a better success rate than I do. I have been accused. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I have been accused of being judgmental because I've shared the truth with somebody. Right? I see it nodding in your head. So have you. I have been accused of being judgmental. And I feel, I feel divided about that <clears throat> because on the one hand, I feel like, yeah, of course, I expect that. Of course. That's a normal response. Yeah, I get it. But on the other hand, it hurts my feelings, <laughs> Right? what do you mean I'm judgmental? What am I supposed to think that every decision you make is a good idea, and if I don't, that's being judgmental? Uh-huh. But this is, what ha- this is what happens. And we can, listen, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can say it just right. We can be pitch perfect, but we can't control the response of somebody else. They might feel like you're being judgmental. They might feel that way. Okay. And so I say to you, tell the truth anyway. You can't control their response. Tell the truth anyway. I've been accused, oh man, oh, I've been accused of being unloving. You want to have a real moment as a church? Can we do that today? I've been accused by members of this church of being unloving. Oh, because I'm telling the truth. Heads up, this is what we experience sometimes. Tell the truth anyway. But I tell you what, and as a Christian, and as the pastor of this church, I'm not willing to compromise truth for the sake of grace. And I'm not willing to compromise grace for the sake of truth. Let's talk about grace. What happens? What happens when we go all in on grace, as we should? What happens? What have you experienced, Christians? who have gone all in on grace and I'm not going to let somebody else's sin offend me and I'm going to meet there where they are and I know they're living outside of God's boundaries. And I'm not going to let that stop me from serving and blessing and giving. What happens when we go all in on grace? We get accused by our fellow Christians. You are enabling sin. I've been accused of that by members of our church you are enabling sin. No, I'm not. You're assuming I haven't shared the truth because I've shared the truth. Just because I'm not offended by someone else's sin doesn't mean I'm encouraging or enabling. I'm just acknowledging the reality of it. This experience is so weird. I've, oh, Christians, I've had Christians offended at me for not being offended at someone else's sin. I just want to lie down and take a nap. Are you kidding me? Am I supposed to be offended by someone else's sin? Why? Am I supposed to be surprised that people sin? No. Why would, why would that be shocking? Why would that be surprising? Have you read the Bible? Have you interacted with people? This is what we do. We sin, we knowingly step outside of God's boundaries. And that's why we need the truth, to be told, listen, this is dangerous. Remember, God says thou shalt not for a reason, because he loves you, because he cares about you. But I see where you're coming from, and I'm eager to forgive, and I'm eager to help you restore, and I'm not going to take it personally. And yes, what you're doing makes me sad, but it doesn't make me angry. It doesn't frustrate me, and it doesn't offend me. I've been accused of enabling sin. I'm not the only one. Huh, worse yet. Oh, Uh, I've been accused of being unbiblical you're being unbiblical, pastor. Why? Because I'm extending grace? Thank you for smiling. It makes me feel like I'm not alone. Well, what? I'm being unbiblical for sharing grace? Have you read the Bible? What do you mean? Not being very Christian-like, come on. Christ was full of grace, right? Filled with both. What prevents us All right, I'm not I'm not talking to all the Christians around the world. I'm talking to Hope Community Church. I'm talking to you if you're watching, I'm you if you're here. What prevents us from going all in on both of these things? Let's start with one. What prevents us from going all in on truth? What what stops us from going all in on truth? I think a couple things. Sometimes it's just a matter of not not knowing the truth or being genuinely ignorant, so that's a factor. But there's a much bigger factor. What stops us from sharing the truth? Fear, that old enemy fear. Well, what happens? How is that person going to respond? And what are they going to think of me? And what are they going to go say about me after I share that truth? Now, are they going to go on social media and tear me down? Because that's a thing now. What happens if I share the truth? I'm afraid. Maybe I got to share some tough truth with a fellow believer, or maybe somebody outside of Christianity. Either way, I'm afraid. Well, Jesus wasn't. Are you kidding me? Jesus was never afraid to tell the truth. Well, what are people going to think if I tell them the truth? That was never an issue for Jesus. He's the most courageous man that's walked the face of the earth. I'm going to tell them the truth anyway. I'm going to tell them the truth anyway. So let's not let fear get in our way. What stops us? What stops us, right? What stops us from going all in on grace? what prevents us from doing this? Well, sometimes it's that, well, I'm concerned that I don't want to come across as like condoning or worse yet enabling sin so that, okay, yeah, 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 that's there. But I think there's a bigger fear. I think there's a bigger fear that prevents us from going all in on grace. Uh, What are the Christians going to think? What are they going to think? Are they going to assume that I haven't shared truth as I've shared grace? Are they going to call me unbiblical? Are they going to say I'm not being very Christian? Are they going to accuse me of enabling sin? What are the Christians going to say if they only knew that I was sharing grace with people who are far from God? I mean, goodness gracious, I'm a pastor, it's my job, and people are gonna see me interacting with the lost and loving on them. What are they gonna think? Fear stops us from sharing grace. Did that stop Jesus? <laughs> No. No. And you better believe the religious establishment that people who thought they were righteous in their own eyes, they gave Jesus a heck of a hard time for sharing grace with other people, didn't they? This guy is eating with sinners. does he even know who he's sharing a meal with. They're prostitutes over there. They're tax collectors. Yeah, I know, and I love them. Grace. He was not afraid of what other people are going to say or what they're going to think. I'm going all in on grace. We're going to look at this next month. Well, God willing, we're going to look at this passage next month. But there's this occasion where a woman who was caught in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus, and all the Pharisees say, hey, shouldn't we stone her to death? That's what the law of Moses says. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, whoever's sinless among you through the first stone, and they go, oh, he got us again. And so all those religious types leave. And the only thing that those religious types experienced was the grace, because they left after that. And then Jesus says to the woman, then neither do I condemn you. They're all gone, neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. They missed him telling the truth. And so they went away thinking, this guy is all about grace, but not about truth. But he didn't care about that. I don't care. Jesus didn't need the testimony of men. He didn't need the testimony of human beings. He didn't let fear get in the way of sharing grace. This is your warning. When you go all in on truth, which we should do, you will be thought of, I don't know, as judgmental on occasion, maybe even unloving. It will happen. It will happen. When you go all in on grace, people are going to say you're being unbiblical or you're enabling sin. It will happen. I say, do it anyway. <laughs> go all in any way. On our fifth anniversary as a church, we're, we're, we're coming up on our 10th anniversary this summer, by the way. But on our fifth anniversary, stood up, gave a message as usual. I don't remember what I talked about. Um, but I do remember at one point I, um, I mentioned, how many people have left the church in the past five years? Because that's a really exciting, enthusiastic thing to talk about, right? <laughs> hey, this many? It was, it was like over 30 at the time. One of the reasons why... It's probably in the top five. One of the reasons why people have left this specific church is because they want us to be all about one or the other. That's one of the reasons why. But we can't be. We can't be. We have to be about both. Because here is the equation, right? Grace plus truth equals love. If you're all about the grace without the truth, that's not love. That's not how is that love? Not helping someone, not warning them about the the dangers in this world, not sharing God. That's not love. You need grace and you need truth. If you're all about truth without grace, here's what you need to do in setting these expectations and here are God's. You need grace. You need both. Now, what's the number one thing we've been commanded to do as Christians? To love one another. We are The Grace and Truth Church. I'm going to tell you something right now as your pastor. I am not willing to compromise the truth. And I'm not willing to compromise on grace. We need both. Because grace plus truth equals love. Let me pray for us. Father God, we're so thankful to you for your word. We're we're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for John's gospel, for this introduction that he gives to us of you, Jesus. Jesus, you were and are perfect, one with the Father. And Jesus, you promised us that you would not leave us as orphans, that you would send to us the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can do the impossible. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be filled with both grace and truth. So we pray for a miracle today, God, a miracle in our hearts, a miracle in our souls. Fill us with both your grace and your truth. Jesus, make us like you. Let us be filled with both grace and truth, and give us the courage to love one another. Give us the courage to not live in fear of what people might say or what people might think or how people might misinterpret, but give us the courage to be filled with both grace and truth so that we may love one another as you have commanded. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.